check one two one two one two uh yeah let's get it okay so if y'all want to get crazy we can get crazy crazy Welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And this is your passport to black film per usual on the usual. It's always so good to be back doing this show. It just brings so much love and excitement into my life. I, you know, I don't. I was going to say, I think, what I will say is that I know that talking about movies is just one of my favorite things to do. And I want to thank you all for engaging per usual and just always showing the show love. Now, first, before we get into things, I want to throw in a little correction from last week's episode. So, I said that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was directed by two white people. I was incorrect. This film was actually co-directed by a brother named Peter Ramsey. So snaps and claps for him. My boy L.E.L. put me on to this fact, and I'm so grateful that he did. I think, you know, when there are these things to spotlight and push forward and note... Please, by all means, let me know, y'all. Let me know. So we can give this brother props. We can give people props if I forget about them. And I guess what I meant to say at the end of the day is that that film was written by two white people. I had their faces in my head and, you know... It would have been really cool to see what that film would have been like had it been an all black and Latin team. And I say that with the absolute conviction and truth of saying that, like, this film is amazing. It is amazing. Me and my friend, who's also black, we had a very emotional experience with that film. That film is great. And still, as Monique says in that meme, I would like to see it. I would like to see a all black and Latin animated film. Let's do it together, y'all. That would be so dope. And also, definitely be sure to check out my friend Eliel's podcast. He does a podcast with another friend of mine named Tavon. They are both bartenders at Nighthawk, where I work. And they have a podcast called ENT Phone Home. And 
a lot of my friends have been on it. And we're definitely going to do a collab episode one day. Like, I cannot wait for that. And you can listen to it now. And, uh, yeah, I really can't wait to do that. That's going to be really, really exciting. Something that I've been thinking about a lot this week is growth. You know, I feel like I've been doing a lot of growing these past couple of months. As you can probably tell, just in a general sense of me coming back and doing the show after being on a break all summer, like I feel more confident. And I said that in the most unconfident way possible, but I do feel more confident in my life. I feel more focused. I feel more energized. And at the same time, like still feeling these growing pains, you know, of figuring yourself out as a person. That is an ongoing thing in everyone's life, I think. Breaking old patterns and habits, which is something that is part of everyone's life forever as well. And, you know, really achieving your full potential and not being scared of that or shying away from that. Or if you do feel moments of discouragement, just, you know, have a conversation with yourself. Note that. Note that that's what that feeling is and that's what that feels like. Allow yourself to feel it. And then remember that you can do anything and that you are good at what you do and you know what the fuck you're doing. So essentially, you know, I've been learning a lot about believing in myself and other people's belief in themselves. And this is also a big issue for our main character of today's film that we are going to discuss. There is generally a lot of pressure on us as Black folks to be the best and rise above, and that's because we have been the best and we have risen above time and time again. And I still, and I said that like a Southern person, but I still, I still, still, and still it can feel like this pressure that we're bucking up against, you know, in terms of societal expectations and, of course, just having to work harder because we are, after all, Black and America. So we, maybe more than anyone, have to be much more intentional with our rest and our boundaries and learning what those are and really doing things for ourselves, you know? So that is one of the reasons why, you know, what Simone Biles did this summer at the Olympics was so inspirational. You know, really taking the time that she needed and the care that she needed to care for herself. And this is a living legend on this huge platform. And to make that decision for herself is absolutely incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And that is also why it's so important for us to have like so much fun when we get together in our spaces. It is so incredibly important. And one of those gathering spaces for black folks is where you get your hair did. So greetings from the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Today's adventure is in cutting up and community spaces, and we are getting into the nitty gritty of a barbershop. But first, some good shit. Now you wanna talk about beating? Let's talk about beating. 
So first of all, if you don't know what some gay shit is, if you ain't never been here before, if you ain't ever listened to an episode with some gay shit in it, this is a segment that I do on the show every once in a while in which we talk about, you guessed it, some gay shit. Mostly on this podcast, we talk about film and sometimes we'll dip into television if the uh, television is... Cinema. Today, though, we are going to talk about queer black music in 2021. You know, I think music is also very, very important in cinema. It's very, very important in our culture, period. And I think in terms of black cinema, I mean, when we use the music in films, the way that it's used in music supervision, where they pick dope songs to put in a movie, and then also incredible movie soundtracks. I mean, our whole second episode was about how dope the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack is. I mean, that Bodyguard soundtrack. I mean, there's so many good black soundtracks. And then there's also music videos. Incredible, incredible black music videos. I mean, just art, perfection. And then also lots of music video directors like F. Gary Gray, who are now directing cinema. It is such a dope transition that I love to see every single time, especially when it's us doing it. So, you know, listening to the new little Nas X album, which is very good, it made me want to discuss some other wonderful Black queer artists who have been dropping some amazing albums this year. So, we have a British Black artist named Arlo Parks. Her album is called Collapsed in Sunbeams. good y'all like this album is definitely one of my favorites of the year her voice is so interesting her lyrics are so dope and so honest and it's just so simple and kind of reminds me of like a corinne bailey right a little bit little leon the harvest little sid honestly speaking of black queer musical artists And then we have an album called Deacon by a musical artist named Serpent With Feet. This album is so dope. It is so unapologetically queer. It is so beautiful. It is so honest. Let me tell you, I think I've said a few times on this podcast that, you know, 
Sometimes it's hard for me to believe in certain aspects of love, but oh my God, serpent with feet, he gets it. He absolutely gets it. This is great, beautiful album. Gorgeously gay, candidly gay. We love to see it. And then, of course, we have Call Me When You Get Lost by Tyler, the creator. I don't lean but my house do off the hill with the mean view. Nice house, if you look out, you can see some eagles and a few yachts. Got a roommate, he won't move out. If you won't smoke, he the cool out. And he drill shit, got the two out. It's the Wolf Gang, Brooklyn Zoo out. Nigga, Wu-Tang, you get chewed out. Then we woo out. It's a split mode and they know you're pussy like the douche out. Bitch, I'm cool, cool, and his mouth wet. He a cool now. Used to stage die, but they sue now. This... Fucking album is incredible. I get obsessed with a different song on this album like every week. Oh my God, it's so good. It's such a great amalgamation of things that he's done before, which this one white boy tried to tell me that that aspect of it was boring and he's full of shit. Full of shit. Like I understand what he's saying and at the same time, full of shit because that album is dope. Absolutely. Another one of my absolute favorites this year and his music videos for this album have been cinema honey's cinema it doesn't get any higher it does not get any higher it is they're they're so good i just need him to put out the pre-order for this fucking record because this is a record that i will be purchasing i can't wait to hear how it sounds and then We've also had singles from Victoria Monet, who I love. Listen to her EP Jaguar. Sid from the internet. She's going to be back with some solo shit. And then also Kaylani. fucking love Kehlani. If you have not listened to the album Sweet Sexy Savage, oh, I think that's what's called. It's really, really good. And I think they all have new albums coming out later this year. And also queer icon Jasmine Sullivan with an absolute banger album earlier this year too. I think that was like the first great album to come out this year. So good. So we have been fed children and we will continue to eat because this is our time. So stay tuned after this little ad break here and then we will be getting into the nitty gritty of Barbershop. Stay tuned. You are here for one reason, one reason only to learn, to learn, to learn. So let's get into the nitty gritty of Barbershop. So, Barbershop was released in 2002, almost 20 years ago, which is bananas to me. And it was directed by Tim Story. 
And here's a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it. This film tells the story of a day in the life of Calvin, played by Ice Cube, who has inherited his late father's barbershop and runs it day to day. He feels the pressure to keep it open and continue his father's legacy, though he has other dreams in mind. And this is definitely a recurring theme within Black cinema. Having to carry on someone's legacy, though you may not find that to be your legacy. Also, on this day that we are following Calvin's life, an ATM has been stolen from a convenience store across the street by JD, played by Anthony Anderson, and Billy, played by Lamar Tate, who intend to open up this ATM and steal the money out of it, which causes a big stir in the neighborhood. Over the course of the film, we are also introduced to Calvin's employees of the barbershop, played by Sean Patrick Thomas, Michael Ely, Eve, Troy Garrity, Leonard Earl Howes, and Cedric the Entertainer, who plays Eddie, who is an older man who has worked at the barbershop for decades. This film also stars Keith David as a loan shark who wants Calvin to sell him the barbershop so that he can turn it into a gentleman's club with a barbershop theme. Like, as much as I don't want to see this man win in the movie, I would like to see some renderings of what he thinks that this uh, gentleman's club barbershop would look like, where he says you can get a trim and then get some trim. It is um, gross and fascinating at the same time. So here are some fun facts about this film. First fun fact being that the cast apparently spent a month training at a barber college to prepare for their roles. And honestly, you can tell. I think you can't just wake up one day and play a barber. There are many scenes in which they are cutting hair and they're doing so with accuracy. I would not let anyone with clippers near my head, whether it was for a movie or not, and they hadn't been trained. Ironically, Troy Garrity was the only actor who had previous haircutting experience, which is ironic because in the movie, there's a whole running joke that he's the only white guy who works at the barbershop and no one who walks in wants him to cut their hair because they don't trust him. Second fun fact is that on the DVD, you can see that Eddie is the one who drank Terry's apple juice. And this is interesting because this is something that I definitely remember because on this rewatch, I wasn't watching it on DVD, but I remember thinking to myself that there's definitely a moment in this movie where they reveal who drank Terry's apple juice and I didn't see it this time around. So it being on the DVD definitely, definitely makes sense. And I love seeing that fact. And fun fact number three, Three is that this film spawned two sequels, Barbershop 2, Back in Business, and Barbershop The Next Cut, as well as a spinoff called Beauty Shop, starring Queen Latifah, and a Showtime original series starring Omar Gooding as Calvin that ran for one season. Now, I haven't seen either of the sequels, 
and I haven't seen Beauty Shop, and I have never seen the show, but from what I know and what I hear, Barbershop The Next Cut, which is the third film, is apparently really good, and that was directed by Malcolm D. Lee, and he tends to do good stuff. I did not hear great things about Space Jam, A New Legacy, and I haven't seen it, so I can't speak on it. I will definitely watch it one day, but I like Malcolm D. Lee's work for the most part. You know, we're talking The Best Man, The Best Man sequel, and we're also, of course, talking about Girls Trip. And I have never seen the Showtime series, but I do know that the Showtime series did take a bit more of a a serious turn on some of the issues that they talk about in the barbershop and would be interested to see it one day. I know John Ridley, who wrote the screenplay for 12 Years a Slave, was very much involved with that show, and I think he's a good writer. So my first experience with this movie is that I saw this film in theaters with my family when it was released. It was a very, very popular film, you know, hence the sequels. This movie made so much fucking money, and I forgot what a big staple it was, honestly. We also own this one on DVD and have watched it a lot. You know, something that when it's on TV, you'll take a peek at and see what part it's at. And it's also such a great example of so many things that we experience as Black people put in this beautiful package in which barely anything happens and also so much happens at the same time. And this cast, this cast, this cast is absolutely legendary. And you know that whenever we're talking about an ensemble film, we gotta do a performance breakdown shakedown. So, first of all, like I just said, this cast is absolutely legendary, is absolutely stacked, it is packed to the gills. Seeing Ice Cube as a voice of reason is great, per usual. You know, even in Friday, he is the voice of reason against Chris Tucker, Bernie Mac, you know, all of these crazy characters in the neighborhood. And he definitely plays that as well, gets to have a couple funny moments, but it's... You know, even though Ice Cube has done and said some foolish things in the past, he always impresses me with his performances because he does find a way to be Cube in his roles. And I think that that is one of the best ways a musical artist can be in a film is to really access themselves, access what they get into when they are performing on stage or in a music video and just really channeling that. And he does a great job. Great, great job. And, you know, most of the cast gets to have a lot of fun and he gets bits and moments, but he really does hold it down. And then, oh my God, Cedric the Entertainer is so fucking funny in this movie. He's definitely one of the MVPs, hands down, in this film. His speech about Rosa Parks is so fucking funny. Now, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folk, but in front of y'all, I'm gonna speak my mind. Rosa Parks ain't do nothing but sit her black ass down. No, no, hold on, hold on now, Seinfeld. You might learn something right now. I'm gonna give her a just do. I'm gonna give her a just do for what she did, her act led to the movement and everything. But, but, but she down show ain't special. 
No, it was a whole lot of black folk sat down on bus and they got thrown in jail and they did it way before Rosa did. Oh, and they did it yeah. way Only difference between them and her is that she's secretary at the NAACP and she know Martin Luther King. And they got a lot of publicity. It, to me, it sounds like you got a little haterism in your game. Well, I can't got no, no, this ain't no hateration or no holleration in this dancery, okay? <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that black people need to stop lying. Say something. Mm -hmm. There's three things that black people need to tell the truth about. What's what? One, one, Rodney King should have yeah. got an ass beat for driving drunk and being grown in a Hyundai. Two, OJ did it. OJ did it. Rosa Parks ain't do nothing but sit her black ass down. Is it disrespectful in ways? Of course it is. Yes. Is there some truth to what he's saying? Also, yes. It is just so legendary. All she did was sit her black ass down. And that's something interesting that we did kind of touch on in the Judas and the Black Messiah episode is that it's not just one person who fuels these movements, right? It is a collective. It is a group of people. She is one person of that group of people who got into the spotlight and really pushed things forward and also did help that she worked for the NAACP. I think that is a great example of, you know, right time, right place, right person. And he really hits the nail on the head with that speech. <laughs> and when he says, man, fuck Jesse Jackson, that shit is also fucking hilarious. And then also when he says Martin Luther King was a hoe because low key, high key, Martin Luther King was a hoe. Is that disrespectful? It's not the only thing he was, of course. Martin Luther King was an incredible, incredible, incredible leader. You know, there's so many things that could not have been done without him. And again, the collective that were around him. And then Bayard Rustin. I mean, there's so many people involved. And that shit is just so fucking funny to me. So fucking funny to me. Then we have Eve, who is another MVP of this film. I mean, the who drank my apple juice tirade is absolutely incredible. Who drank my apple juice? Oh, y'all don't hear me? Huh? Huh? Who drank my goddamn apple juice? Oh, Terry. Stop cussing. This ain't deaf comedy jam. Sure I put a big ass red Terry, Stop cussing. Tell him, man. I put a big red sign said, do not drink me. Maybe no one drank it. Maybe it evaporated. Maybe I'm about to slap you. Don't, Don't get on my bad side. You ain't been here nothing but a minute. Oh, I would shoot your white ass. It ain't like you talking about a bottle of Hennessy or nothing. You talking about some funky ass this apple juice. This is my funky ass bottle of apple juice, and I don't touch nobody else's stuff around hey, here. What? Jimmy drank your apple juice. Oh, now hold up now. Why hey, you touch dog? my apple juice? You was looking at me You touch my moment. apple juice? What I'm does that mean? Did you see me drink it? I ain't have to see you drink it. You was the one that asked about it. Do you have the ocular proof? What did, did I just see say? Me drink ocular. It? Did you? What did, did you, you see say, me drink man? It? I said I didn't have to see you drink it, man. You know, oh, what did you, you see me like, drink it? I ain't have to see you drink it. What did you see? Say you ain't drink it. You ain't drink it? Knock his college ass out. Hey, 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 hey. Come on, come on. Let's him Let him go. This ain't the projects, OK? It's a place of business. Hey, you didn't see anything. You, your father wouldn't put up with this mess. Now you got to handle this. Checker Fred, just sit there and play checkers, okay? Do I look like my father? Yeah. 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 It was something that we wanted to include in the season one theme song. So I'm glad that we get to include it in the season two theme song for the show. 
She's another one who, as a musical artist, really finds a way to access herself through this role. It's really brilliant. And I really appreciate that Terry, as a character, could have so easily just come off as an angry Black woman trope throughout the whole film. And I think it's really interesting and important to see that on this day, she is particularly angry about something that she has every single fucking right to be angry about, which is, you know, her man cheating and stepping out and just being tired of the bullshit. Like, when I was watching the film this time, I was like, yo, I'm so super on board with Terry and what she's going through and what she's feeling because I am also tired of the bullshit. So an interesting dynamic that is explored in this film is the Michael Ely versus Sean Patrick Thomas Plotline because Michael Ely's character has been to jail. He's done time. You know, he has a past and crime. And Sean Patrick Thomas is like the upstanding black man. He's been to college. He knows every fucking thing. He's possibly, probably a Capricorn. So this dynamic represents so much, which we'll get into, this dynamic of these two different groups, specifically of black men, you know, those who have gone to college, been educated, have tried in various conscious and subconscious ways to assimilate to whiteness while also being rooted in their blackness. Sean Patrick Thomas's character is still rooted in his blackness and them kind of looking down on people who've had a different life, a different life that's similar to Michael Ely's character's life in this film. That's a very interesting dynamic that is explored here that we will, like I said, talk about a little bit later. And then there's also Anthony Anderson and Lamar Tate giving us lots of comedy and giving us lots of physical comedy. They're just a joy to watch. This plot line is so silly. It's such a breath of fresh air in the movie. And Lamar Tate, so at first you don't see either of their faces in the film when they're stealing the ATM. And what's so funny is that I heard their voices and I was like, wait, is Lorenz Tate in this movie? I was not aware. I guess I forgot that he was in this movie. And then I see his face and I'm like, that's not Lorenz Tate. And then I look up who this guy is and I was like, oh, it's his brother, which makes so much sense. I mean, they sound so much alike. It's great to see him in something and that they sound exactly the same. And then, of course, there is Keith David, who is the villain of black cinema. And that is no different here. He is just so slimy, so swarthy. He's just, oh, my God, he's just the best. I love him so much. And he's also another MVP of this movie. He just plays this lone shark pimpish character to perfection, honestly. And it's great to see how he exists in this world and how he exists in this world against everyone who just kind of lives around the neighborhood and how he exists among the cops. I also like that this film, speaking of the cops, has an ACAB message that all cops are fucking bad. And now, even though the main cop in this movie is played by a black actor, that he is also bad and he is part of this broken 
fucking system. So let's get into these themes of cutting up and community spaces. So like I was saying earlier in the intro, it is so important for we as Black people to have spaces where we can cut up, where we can really just let loose, have amazing conversations about so many different things, and be able to really feel like we can truly be ourselves. When Cedric is talking about the importance of a barbershop. See you Monday. A barber with mold and just somebody who sit around in a fubu shirt with a draw hanging all out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. My day, the barber was a counselor. He was a fashion expert. Uh, he, he was a style coach, pimp, just general all-around hustler. But the problem with y'all cats today is that you got no skill. No sense of history. And then, with a, with a straight face, got the nerve to want to be somebody. Want somebody to respect you. But it take respect to get respect. Understand? See, I'm old. But Lord willing, I'd be spared the sight of seeing everything that we had worked it for flushed down the drain by someone who don't know no better or care. He's absolutely right. I mean, this film always makes me think of my experiences of going to barber shops growing up. We used to go to this place in our the town next to ours called Keep It Smooth. And the head barber's name was Smooth. I cannot remember what his real name is, but this guy was just so full of swag. He kind of looked like Shannon Briggs a little bit and was just like a really handsome, suave dude, always really chill, really great haircuts. But who I went to most of the time when we were getting haircuts there, because it was usually me, my dad, and my brother all getting haircuts at the same time, I usually got put with this guy named Jerry, who was the old school cat of the barbershop. He wasn't quite like Eddie in terms of being exuberant and extroverted and all that, but this guy was just another really cool cat. Like, you can tell this guy was just giving you so much game in the 70s. Like, I swear he probably had some little, like, medallion on sometimes or, like, a a cool necklace or whatever. He was just a really cool dude, and I wonder what these guys are up to now. I mean, this was the kind of environment where everyone was really just chilling, you know, sometimes getting on each other, just like in the movie. And there was always some kind of movie playing. Like, I remember seeing so many great black films in this barbershop and in other barbershops. You know, there were some barbershops I went to as a kid that weren't that barbershop that did definitely make me feel uncomfortable in some ways. You know, unfortunately, a topic that can come up 
when you're in a space with lots of straight black men is gay people, lots of homophobic jokes, lots of homophobic comments. So, you know, as a kid, that would definitely make me uncomfortable. And I have to say, I really have not experienced that as much as an adult. Those spaces are still very much like that in a lot of ways, I can tell, but not a lot of the ones that I've been to, which I really appreciate, because I feel like, of course, as an adult having agency now, I just would not go to those places ever again. Unfortunately, regardless of how fucking dope the haircut is, and that's such a big part of it too, it's not just a place to cut up, it's a place to get cut up. And hopefully not getting scarred and being cut. I have been cut and have gotten scarred literally on my skin at barbershops. And these days, you know, I live in Astoria, Queens. Uh, There is unfortunately not a black barbershop in my vicinity. So I've gone to many a different barbershop since I've lived here. I've gone to a barbershop with this Russian guy owns. Uh, He gave a pretty good haircut, gotta say, but kind of stopped going to him because he would not line up my hair anymore because he told me it was going to affect my hairline, which is... Possibly true, but mostly offensive. So I didn't go back to him because, you know, if you're black and you're getting a haircut, you need to be lined up. I need these lines to be straight. I need these lines to be kept. And so I've also been to an Italian barber. Pretty good. And I've also been to Latin barbers a lot. Really, really, really great haircuts. And I've been going consistently now to this Dominican spot. And I wish I spoke better Spanish because I know they be cutting up. They be cutting up as fuck. And there's, again, always some sort of TV on. They have a bird that says words and makes noises. I guess it's a parrot, right? Uh, No, I don't know. It might be some other bird that can talk. But this bird last time said hola, and I almost lost my fucking mind. But I can speak a good amount of Spanish, like medium amount of Spanish, but they be talking so fast that I cannot even keep up. And the barbershop in this movie is such an amazing, beautiful place. You can see how much it means to the community that this space exists and that this space continues on, though Calvin's father has passed. And, you know, when Calvin says that he's closing the barbershop before he, of course, decides not to close the barbershop because there were sequels, I mean, come on. And you can see that it's more than just everyone losing their jobs. It's like the idea of losing this beacon in the community is just honestly really, really heartbreaking. And... There is a part, oh my God, there's a part where Sean Patrick Thomas's character is arguing with Michael Ely's character, who, side note, this is uh, one of, if not for the first major role that Michael Ely had. And let me tell you, this man is so fucking fine. The minute he steps on the scene, you are just like, oh my God, you are just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been, as long as you love me, 
I definitely fucked up those lyrics, but you know what I mean. And so Michael Ely and Sean Patrick Thomas are having this argument, and he, Sean Patrick Thomas, accidentally cuts the young boy's hair just a little too over the edge and gives him a bald spot in the back of his head. Now, this is not an experience that I've had in a barber shop, thank God. But I have had it when my mom used to cut our hair. Lord Jesus, I appreciate the effort. I really appreciate what the attempts were at the time, but God damn, you look at those pictures and you're just like, God damn, those haircuts were bad. And I definitely had, and my brother, at least a couple of bald spots a couple of times. So not a great look. And that is such a absolutely real moment in this movie to see this boy be like, I can't walk around with a patch in my head because motherfuckers will get on you for having a patch in your head for sure. So something else that this barbershop gets so completely right that I also experienced when I was growing up is just the different kinds of black folks that are in this shop. The characters. Of course, you have the people who work there, but the customers, like Checker Fred, this old guy who's in there every day up in there playing checkers, and then you got the bootlegger. So this guy comes in, with a jacket full of bootleg DVDs trying to sell them in the store. There was definitely that guy who came to my barbershop. And what I love in this movie is that it goes, it elevates all the way from selling bootleg DVDs to selling bootleg dogs that he found on the street. That shit is hilarious. And I'll never forget the first time I ever actually saw a bootleg. My grandmother gave my cousin a DVD or VHS of Stuart Little for Christmas. And that year I was like, dead ass, I just saw Stuart Little in the theaters a couple weeks ago. How do you already have this movie? I was really jealous and pretty upset about it until I saw it and I was like, oh, someone took their camera into a movie theater and like filmed this movie on the screen. That is what's happening here. So... (laughs) Along with these people like Checker Fred and the guy who sells bootlegs, I mean, like I was saying before, having a guy like Eddie in the barber shop, first of all, Eddie definitely resembles a certain point in my father's life. There was a certain time in my father's life where he definitely looked like Eddie with maybe less grays, maybe a little less crazy, but like very, very, very similar because there's an intergenerational conversation that can happen then. So there is a lot of Eddie teaching the younger people about things that happened back in his day and the importance of learning things about the importance of a barbershop and then talking about the civil rights movement and stuff like that. But then also there is wonderful teaching moments in here from the younger generation actually. You know, there is a part where... Eddie is talking about the guy who owns the convenience store across the street, who is a brown person. They talk about, you know, whether he's Pakistani or Indian. Later is revealed that he is Indian. And 
there is a really great exchange that happens in which the younger generation actually schools Eddie on some things about being prejudiced against other folks. And I think that's really dope. I think that that is definitely a conversation that we often have with our older generation. Certain things do not fly. And not that they ever really flew, but they were excused at a certain point. So I like that he is called out on that. And that also shows an awareness of the filmmaker on the filmmaker's part about those issues and about how those things can happen in the black community, like black people talking about Asian folks and being really prejudiced about it, Latin folks being really prejudiced about it, and then also brown folks, Southeast Asian folks. So I also love the fact that one of the people working in the barbershop is African, West African, and his name is Dinka. And they do make jokes about him. And it's not in a way that the filmmaker is not aware about how this relationship works, how the African-American and African relationship works. I was so mad when somebody called him Roots in this movie. Oh, my God. That made me so mad. Oh, my God. And it's a difference and a conversation to be had always just about, you know, the difference of experience. Not that one is better than the other, but it is a different experience. Lots of similarities, of course. And I love that there's this conversation that happens between Michael Ely's character and Dinka where it's clear that Dinka really does feel like a joke and he doesn't really believe in himself. You know, he has this crush on Terry. He buys her a card and some flowers and it's very sweet. And he writes a Pablo Neruda poem on it. It's really, really beautiful. But you can tell that he doesn't really believe in himself for various reasons. And I do feel like the way that he is treated in some of these African-American spaces does contribute to that. And to see him and Michael Ely have this really honest conversation about him believing in himself and believing in the things that he's good at, I think is really, really beautiful. And I think, again, speaks more to the point, even more than the insults do, of course. And I like that balance. There's so much balance in this movie in terms of how these Black folks are represented that we are not a monolith. I mean, this dude, Keith David's character, comes out to the song Pusher Man out of his fucking Cadillac and his pimp costume. I'm your mama, I'm your daddy, I'm that nigga in the alley. I'm your doctor when in need. Want some coke, have some weed. It is just chef's kiss. Excellent, excellent black cinema. And another excellent moment in this movie where you see every black person in this neighborhood getting down and again showing the diversity of black people is when they play Got to Give It Up in the barbershop to defuse an argument between Michael E. Lee and Sean Patrick Thomas. And everyone in their neighborhood is dancing to it, no matter where they are. It's this great, wonderful montage full of joy. And like I always say, Got to Give It Up makes every single movie better. It enhances every single film. And of course, the comedy in this movie is really great. You know, we have 
Cedric just giving us everything he's got in this movie as Eddie. And there is this wonderful, wonderful part where Anthony Anderson's character goes to his grandma's to basically get some tools to open the ATM and everything. (laughs) And when she hugs him, she says, this nigga don't ever come see me. That shit killed me because that reminded me of my grandmother, something that she would say under her breath. And again, that's showing the diversity of Black folks within the world that you don't really get to see a lot in films. And it's so important. You usually see these really docile older Black women or just really angry and mean. And this grandmother was just fucking real. She was absolutely real. She was absolutely keeping it 100. And I also love the part where... This woman double parks her car and she gets out of her car and she starts hitting this car across the street from the barbershop with a bat. And this guy is getting his hair shampooed and everyone's talking about it. They're, you know, looking out the window and they're laughing and he starts asking and he starts, you know, getting in on it and being like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. And he starts asking about details about the car. And then he realizes that it's his car that's getting beat the shit out of. And then he runs out to go see what the fuck is happening and why this woman is hitting on his car. And then she's like, this is your car? Oh, I thought it was Malcolm Brown's car. Oh, shit, are you sure? This looks like Malcolm Brown's car. And he's like, no, this isn't no fucking Malcolm Brown's car. And she's like, oh, my bad. And she runs away. I... Ugh, I just love it so much. It's so good. You know, this movie, like a lot of other Black films in the early 2000s, I feel like is pretty underrated and undervalued and kind of looked at a movie that's not important, that's not a really important part of cinema, but I think it absolutely is. I mean, how many films do we really have that really capture the essence of spaces like this? I mean, I know that there are other ones, but this one really sticks out in my mind as being important for that reason and really continuing to show the camaraderie of Black people and showing that even though there is conflict, there is a common ground that we can always come back to. So in conclusion, this film has always held a special place in my heart and will always hold a special place in my heart. As many films from this era do, quite honestly. They're underappreciated and I really want them to be revisited in a very big way. And that is something that I want to do so much in my job as a programmer at Nighthawk. I love when a film surpasses my expectations like this one did when I first saw it in theaters. And this cast brilliantly breathes life into these characters and the film itself and offers a amount of depth that many comedies sometimes do not reach, but the good ones always do. And also, this film reminds me of other media that has taken place in these spaces and has shown the importance of them in different ways. Things that come to mind are the barbershop episode of Atlanta in season two. It is incredible. Again, an example of cinema, honestly, though it's a TV show. And then also the show The Shop, LeBron James's show, where they have, again, very candid conversations within a barbershop setting. I have not watched this show, but it looks like they have good 
some good conversations. I've seen clips from it, and there's some really dope things said sometimes. So check out Barbershop if you haven't seen it. It is now available to rent on Amazon and Apple. So check it out. And after this next commercial break, we will get into the You Better Act Awards. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. So before I get into this week's You Better Act Award, I have to make a correction. I cannot believe I misnamed one of my favorite albums this year. Tyler, the creator's album is called Call Me If You Get Lost, not Call Me When You Get Lost. Oh my God. I am very salty at myself for that and I deeply apologize. So let's get into this week's You Better Act Award. All my life I had to fight. So if you don't know, You Better Act is an award that I give out every single week on the show to a performance that I just love and I think deserves more attention and praise. So I shower it with that on my show. And this week's You Better Act award goes to, drumroll please, Natasha Rothwell in The White Lotus. So The White Lotus was a limited series on HBO, which I guess is not limited anymore because it's getting another season. But it's about a resort in Hawaii in which all of these rich white people come and vacation and the kind of crazy shit that goes wrong on their vacations, as well as examining their privilege in relation to the people who work there and the people whose island they are on. So Natasha plays Belinda, who is a woman that works at the White Lotus Resort. She is the head of the spa. And this woman, played by Jennifer Coolidge, really connects to her and talks to her about, you know, putting together a business and, you know, really gets... Natasha's character, Belinda, thinking about a brighter future for herself, one where she can really do what she wants to do and not be tied down to this life of service at the resort. And of course, this falls through eventually. So Natasha's character, just she just brings so much life to this character. And she does it in such a simple way as well. She's giving you so much in a character that's not quite as outlandish as everyone. And actually, more similar to how Natasha is as a person in real life. So a lot of people know Natasha for playing Kelly on Insecure, which is a show that our executive producer, Amanda Seals, is also on, of course. And Kelly is a much more extroverted, outlandish character, whereas Belinda is much more quiet, much less outrageous, I should say, than Kelly on Insecure, and a lot more grounded. Natasha is a very grounded person. She used to do comedy in New York, and I used to bartend at some shows she would do with this guy named Dan Hodap, who eventually directed a solo show that I did back in the day. So I definitely saw her around a lot and definitely was around her very mild-mannered temperance. I also got to see her audition for SNL. She used to write for SNL. And I saw her audition before she got a writer job, and she was absolutely incredible. So fucking funny. So it's so great to see her play this character that has such a big contrast to Kelly, and at the same time is 
so much the way that she is in real life. So I love seeing that for her. I just hope she gets so much praise and accolades for this role. Like, again, it's not the showiest role in the show by any means, but I think she is doing, honestly, some of the best work on the show. So if you have not seen The White Lotus, definitely check it out. It's really, really good. It's streaming on HBO and HBO Max. And definitely check out Natasha doing amazing, amazing work on this show. So in closing today, some food for thought, what are some other Black community spaces where we really feel free to just cut it up, let loose, speak some truths, have some fun, and live our lives? Comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Also, subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. And also, Adventures in Black Cinema is coming to a theater near you, honey, or actually only a theater near you if you live in New York, because we are going to start doing live screenings of films that I have talked about on the podcast at Nighthawk Cinema. This first one will be on October 13th. We will be screening Tales from the Hood at the Nighthawk Prospect Park location. Come through. It's going to be so much fun fun. I can't wait to do it. So buy your tickets now. Go to nighthawkcinema.com and look for those fucking tickets, y'all. Thank you per usual to our audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella, to our production assistant, Cindy Edward, and our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Doing some now, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of both Candyman's. We will be getting a double dose of Candyman, and I will be joined by favorite guest of the podcast, Miss Shay Fillmore. So stay tuned for that because we have some things to bring to the table for Candyman. So until then, per usual, stay safe, stay black, stay blessed. Goodbye. Great.